Welcome to the Spot On Podcast. In series one of this show, we're focused on the fundamentals of skin cancer and we interviewed some of Australia's leading clinicians. And so in this season, season two, we're focused on more of the human side of a diagnosis. This podcast is brought to you by MScan, Melanoma and Skin Cancer Advocacy Network. And MScan is thrilled to have renowned journalist Deborah Knight facilitating some of the conversations. In the next couple episodes, we'll be focusing on interviewing a patient who's been affected by skin cancer alongside a key member of their treatment team. And Deb, we've got some inspiring conversations coming up with everyday Australians who've undergone some extremely difficult diagnoses of skin cancers, and you'll be speaking with them alongside their clinicians. I'm expecting some really close relationships that have been forged between the clinicians and the patients over such a difficult time. Absolutely. And to some degree, a little bit of a love-hate relationship because they've been there through the good and the bad. Mm. But I think it's a a very strong bond that's forged, obviously, between patient, clinician and patient and plastic surgeon. So it's it's an interesting one, but it's it's one that I think gives some great insight into how we can all learn and, and improve our chances with skin cancer. And I think as well, you know, given Australia being the skin cancer capital of the world and looking at the backstory and the background of some of these guests that you'll be speaking with, the patients that have undergone these diagnoses, all of them have a similar theme of wanting to be able to share their story and help others and hopefully be living proof to others what can happen if you catch these things early and get on top of them. It's great that they're willing to share these stories and hopefully help other people. Well, I think that's that's true. And, and I think I'm sort of drawing on that from my involvement here as well, because I had a a basal cell carcinoma removed from my nose earlier this year and I had to undergo surgery. And it was a bit of a wake-up call for myself. And I spoke about it publicly and it actually prompted a lot of people through listening to me on radio and TV and they thought, oh, I better get my skin checked. And so in this episode, Deb will be interviewing Jared Ruffhead. Jared is a country boy turned Hawthorne superstar. During a routine checkup in 2016, Jared received a difficult diagnosis of advanced melanoma. Jared has been fortunate to have been successfully treated with immunotherapy. He returned to AFL and was named club captain. Jared Ruffhead's journey is detailed in his book called Ruffy. Melanoma is the most serious form of skin cancer, and it's the most common cancer diagnosed in young people aged 15 to 39. Alongside Jared in this interview, you'll hear Donna Milne. Donna is a clinical nurse consultant who provides extraordinary care of patients who face a challenging diagnosis. Donna is involved in numerous national committees and advisory boards providing advice on patient resources and optimal care for patients with melanoma. Donna is also co-chair of the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Nurses Organisation, the MSCNO. This extraordinary group of nurses has been established to share and exchange expert knowledge. They're focused on supporting healthcare delivery to ensure optimal patient care and outcomes for Australians diagnosed with melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancer. In this interview as well, you hear Jared mention Grant MacArthur, his treating doctor. That's Professor Grant MacArthur, who featured in episode two of the Spot On podcast, explaining the treatment options for advanced melanoma. Up next, you'll hear... Deb Knight interviewing Jared Ruffhead about his experiences of a skin cancer diagnosis and treatment alongside clinical nurse consultant Donna Milne. Well, thank you guys. It's lovely to speak to you both. I'll go start with you, Jared. I'd just be curious to get you to explain a bit about your life outside football because we all know you as the winning superstar, premiership, Hawthorne, all the rest of it. But beyond football, 
tell us a bit about yourself and your journey with melanoma. Uh, yeah, so thanks, Deb. Um, originally a country boy from South Gippsland, Victoria, a little small town called Lean Gaffer. Like any normal kid, grew up playing a lot of sport outside. And then through, you know, back half of school, I started to get some interest in footy and basketball and uh, footy was the one that I probably gravitated to a little bit and then ended up, you know, getting drafted a couple of weeks after my year 12 exams. And from there, you know, Langath has only got one set of traffic lights and you move to Hawthorne that's got four or five on the way to training. So my life changed a fair bit there um, and, you know, managed to play 15 years at Hawthorne where I had some great years. And then, you know, towards the end of my career, 2015 was when I first discovered I had my first melanoma on my lip. How did you find it? How did you first realise that's what it was? Bit of a weird one. I've, I've been pretty good with sunscreens, covering myself. You know, I'm red hair and fair skin, so I haven't got much chance against the sun. So at the start of, I guess, 2015, I had a small little blister on the bottom of my lip and for a while there it wasn't healing. And, you know, after showers when I dry myself and whatnot, it'd bleed. So once I heard that wasn't a good sign, I went and got a punch biopsy on a Friday played a game on a Saturday and then I think it was the Tuesday or Wednesday I had it cut out. So for that, it was pretty quick and I'd, I'd had a PET scan. I'd had reviews with oncologists and other doctors to say, right, you don't need any radiation. You don't need any chemo. You should be right to go. And back half of 15 was great. We won another premiership, started 16. I got married in January and then May, you know, I think it was my third PET scan that unfortunately they found the four lumps in my lungs. And when you got that news, that it had gone beyond just a, a simple procedure to have removed. What sort of impact did it have on you? Bit of a shock to the system, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> life gets put on hold, unfortunately. You go from, you know, my workplace, I suppose, a team environment that you all focus on the one goal, which is winning a flag, and then all of a sudden you have to remove yourself from that and focus purely on yourself in a selfish point of view, which is quite hard as well. But, you know, as I said before, I, got, I was recently married, so my wife, Sarah, she was only, I think, 27 at the time. Um, we were doing renovations at home, so there was, you know, your whole world gets thrown upside down, really. And yeah, you don't know what to think. You know, you, people look up Doctor Google, and that's obviously not great. And you know, that was where I first got to meet Donna. Um, and but I'd met Grant previously, but Donna was the one that came in and, and obviously mentioned what was going to happen from then and there, and that we were going to experience a trial that was only had been around for a couple of years. And and from there, I suppose you put your life in their hands, really. I'm interested that I'll bring Donna in in just a moment, but I'm interested that you said that it was you being quite selfish and having to, I mean, putting your health first is in my mind not at all selfish. It's practical. It's just the reality. But it's interesting that that's how you frame it. Well, I think from from my point of view and from how I've been brought up, I've never been involved in individual sport. And for me, footy has been my only job since I was, you know, 17 years old. So it, my mindset is, well, Team, 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 no matter what. I can't win games myself and I can't do things myself in footy. So for as long as I've known, it's always been about team. So when you go from being a part of a leadership group where you've kind of got to put 40 other players and 50 other staff ahead of yourself to then try and do a complete 180 and just think, right, I've got to block all that out and focus purely on myself. It was quite hard. And then again, then once I was right and then be made captain, probably the same thing again. You go from... A complete 180 again to to then focusing on pure team again. Mm. Well, Donna, I'd, I'd love to hear your background in skin cancer and, and what your role is in a patient like Jared's journey. 
Sure. Thanks, Deb. I have been working in cancer nursing for 30 odd years and I've been in skin and melanoma for the last 12. And I think I would describe my role as being a support, a guide, a bit of a problem solver, an educator, trying to do whatever I can to make sure that what anybody is going through occurs as smoothly as possible. So, yeah, it's a fascinating job. It's always different. But, yeah, I would say that's the main thing that I do. And meeting Jared, I remember that very clearly when I was told that his scan was positive and my colleagues knew that I was a Hawthorne supporter. So they said to me, you're going to know who this guy is. And it's like, yeah, okay, so, you know. <laughs> We need you to come and meet him and, and this is what's going to happen. But I didn't tell him I was a Hawthorne supporter for quite a long time. Kept didn't you? <laughs> you don't want to put too much pressure on, on yourself here to ensure that you, you get it absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. And I thought at that stage uh, my approach changed uh, pretty quickly because uh, Jared's pretty easy to get on with. But um, it was sort of that my sense was I had to have a professional relationship with him and not you know, and I was there as a nurse, not as a Hawthorne supporter. So it was a conscious decision on my behalf. And in the end, it wasn't even me that told him. It was somebody else. So, Well, I know how seriously you Victorians take your AFL. It's your religion. So that must have been an interesting thing to put the uh, the nurse's hat on and the fans hat off and footy fan, Hawthorne yeah, fan yeah, hat off. Yeah, it was. But, you know, it was also a pretty serious situation that we were facing and, you know, I had to be my in a professional role, not in a, in a different role from that. Yeah. So what treatments then, Jared, did you have to undergo to deal with the melanoma? So, yeah, initially, as I mentioned before, with my first one, I, I had no treatments to start off with. I was given the all clear that it hadn't spread and whatnot. But then May 2016, you see this PET scan that has the four green dots on it, it's just like right. Oh, initially, I thought what freckle or what mole has got a bit angry, but you know when Grant and Donna show you these films and you work out what's ahead of you, I guess you know as I mentioned before, it was a trial at the time, so I was informed that uh, I was going to be on a, a treatment that was I think the street names were Yervoy and Opdevo. I can't pronounce the technical or clinical term, mm. but you know I'd say to Donna because of the treatments would be I'd try and make them early in the morning. Can you make them? pretty quick because, you know, I'd like to get on with my day and whatnot. But because it was a trial and at the time it was quite expensive, they wouldn't make the actual drug until they physically saw me in the building. So, you know, I'd text on the same on way and she'd like, yep, I'll get them to start making it now, knowing pure well that they weren't going to start making it until they saw me. So initially it was two drugs administered every three weeks and these bags of drugs are only about 100 mils tops really. So after the first one I was great. I felt, you know, no worries. And then... um I was informed that it was probably going to hit you after, you know, treatment two or three. And, and sure enough, after the second dose that I went through, I hit the wall pretty bad and, and had some pretty full-on side effects. How did that affect you? What sort of side effects did you did you experience? So this is the thing that Donna was pretty upfront with because, you know, I was a 29-year-old male that there was only one of two at the time that were on this drug in, I think, at Peter Mac. Uh, I had to be pretty open with them and in a sense you're a bit of a guinea pig. So I experienced my liver wasn't great, my lungs were inflamed, I think my eyes were inflamed and, and the one that where Donna said, right, oh, this has got to probably stop is when my, uh, the nerves in my feet started to eat away and 
if I ever wanted to get back to playing footy, I kind of needed my feet. So that's where they put a stop to the treatments, which was after the third dose. And we started some other drugs to try and see if I could turn those side effects around, really, which was a bit of a butcher's paper experiment because we needed, I think, two or three different things that we tried until something actually worked. And in terms of the treatment options as well, Donna, how, I mean, experimental using a drug like this on, on someone like, or a combination of drugs like this with Jared, how happy with you were you when it was going? Were you sort of really providing Jared with all of the information that you were actually yeah. thinking or, or holding some of it back? It's, yeah, it's interesting. Deb, we'd had a little bit of experience with the drugs by the time Jared started, but not a huge amount. And so you fluctuate and it's very individual for the person, I think, as to whether, because if you overload people, you could scare the living daylights out of them. You know, you can get this, this and this. But then if you tell them, then they don't know what to report back to me. Of course. So, you know, and then if they don't report things back to me, they become harder to manage and they often require hospitalisations. So I figured out with Jared pretty quickly that he liked information and liked to know what was what, and that's part of developing your relationship with people. And fortunately for me, he is probably one of the best historians I've ever looked after. In really? Of, yeah. Dates, times, what happened when, what he was doing, what I took, it's a bit scary, what I told him to do last time, you know, that sort of stuff. So it actually made my role a lot easier because he was so precise and could relate back to me what was going on. But when he mentioned his toe, we def- actually never had anybody that I was aware of that had this inflammation of the nerves like that. And, it, yeah, it was just that he, and I remember he said to me, Jared, it's, this is a bit funny, but you told me to tell you everything, but I've got this tingling, you know, in my toe. And had he not been like that and ignored it, who knows whether we would have been able to get on top of it in time. So, you know, what you tell people is individual and you hope you pick them correctly in terms of lots of information or not too much so that they don't become totally shut off from you. So, Jared, what's been the upshot now? Because, I mean, obviously you've been through that treatment, but where are you at at the moment? I've got a PET scan, which will be five years next Monday week. So I think, you know, initially from my... After I was given the all clear in, in December 16, it was like a, I was having PET scans every three to four months that would have gradually gone out to six months. And now we're at five years come December this year, which would just be unreal. And in that, you know, in that time, I've become a dad. I've got a four year old or soon to be four year old daughter in February, Pippa. And Will, my son, he's just, he's 15 months today. So, you know, without Donna and Grant, who knows what. Um, if you're even thinking about that, because as I said, you know, I was 29 and I remember when I got given the old clear grant said I expect you to be a granddad. So when you hear that kind of thing, you know, footy was obviously everything that I knew growing up and mm. everything. But once you experience being a dad and stuff like that, yeah, footy means bugger all really. And that's everything to live for, isn't it? The, yeah. The people who are nearest and dearest to you. Yeah. And, you know, I was pretty protective of Sarah once when I was going through all this. She was working at the time and you know she didn't I don't know it's just something I didn't want her to really see because I did there was times there where I wasn't very well at all but did um, she have a full grasp of how serious it was I'm not sure you'd have to ask her but and Donna and her probably spoke a fair bit but 
yeah, I'd never really let Sarah come to any of the treatments or to the hospital much, purely for the fact that, you know, if stuff did go south, you don't want her to really think of me or remember me when you're at your worst, I suppose. So, and again, that's probably a little bit selfish, but yeah, I think that's just how I went about it, trying to protect her as best as possible. So yeah, in five years, it's changed a fair bit, to be honest, Deb. You go from, you know, as I said, worrying about purely yourself and, and your sporting career to now, you know, you're up at five and you're not really giving, they don't care. They actually don't know that dad was a football player. So I might have to bring out YouTube when I'm a bit old. <laughs> yeah, your dad, your daggy dad. And, and yeah. that's, who, that's who you are yep. for them. Absolutely. Yep. And and for, for the treatment options too, Donna, I'm curious, obviously from 2015 when Jared first started on this journey, how has the treatment options changed over those those years? Yeah, they've changed um, quite a bit, Deb. There's the drugs that Jared had uh, are two drugs are immunotherapy agents, and they both work a little bit differently. They're called ipilimumab and nivolumab. Hey, there you go. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it enough times per day. And we've actually got a few more agents in that um, classification now that we can work with. And we're looking at different combinations of immunotherapy drugs plus other newish drugs called targeted therapies, which are uh, tablets. So really, Jared started, I guess, on about, you know, on the ground floor. And now, if you like, we've got two or three more floors that we can add in for people with different combinations and different drugs. But the immunotherapy has been a game changer, really since we've been able to use those drugs. And even in my time working, when I first started, we were giving chemotherapy to people with stage four melanoma and the average survival was nine months. And now we're, you know, looking at people, I'm still seeing people that we treated early on in the piece, you know, 10 plus years later. Wow. So that tells you what sort of changes we've been through and I feel very fortunate that I've been working in an era where this has happened because you don't not everybody experiences that in their lifetime and I remember Grant MacArthur describing it once as the penicillin moment of in oncology because the treatments or the survival and the responses that we were seeing from immunotherapy was like equivalent to what you know many many years ago you saw in infections when people could got access to penicillin so it, it's pretty major and I'm expecting that we'll continue to see these developments and hopefully what we'll see is that immunotherapy is effective in many more cancers because it, it doesn't do such a good job in other cancers like it does in melanoma, but we're actually seeing it being used and successful in some of the non-melanoma skin cancers now, like the SCCs or the squamous cell carcinomas. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting really. Well, absolutely. And as you say, to see that vast change happen within your My professional career. Yeah. working career is pretty heartening, isn't it? Yep. So what's your advice, Jared, for people who'd be listening along to this podcast who might have received a diagnosis such as yourself? What would you tell them? For me, it's listen to the professionals and trust your doctors and nurses because these guys are the professionals. There's no point looking up Google or anything else because these guys have experienced everything and seen everything so whether there's little changes in or before treatment as long as you're open with these guys every day if, if something small changes make sure you get on the phone and talk to your doctor or nurse when you're going through treatment don't be afraid of clinical trials because i'm here as a 
you know, there's a positive result to for someone that it's just like, oh, well, no, we'll just go back to chemo. It's like, no, no, no. There's there's been good good things about this um, immunotherapy and whatnot. So, and the other thing is, yeah, trust these guys. It's it's questioning you as a reporter, or you were to question me as a footy player. It's like you can question us, but at the end of the day, we're the professionals. So I'm no, I don't expect Donna to be telling me how to kick goals. She's the one that's seen it all and done it all. So. I don't know. She's a Hawthorne fan. She'd probably step in and tell yeah, you. Nah, well, nah, I'd, give it, I'd give it a bit of a shot, Jared. <laughs> Trust me, there, there were times where I did rub her up the wrong way and I wasn't – she would say that I wasn't nice, but when she's telling you, just take a couple of Panadol and you'll feel better, it's like I've taken Panadol and I've had enough. <laughs> it, was, it was one time, Deb, where – See? There was one time, Deb, where he was really, really unwell and it was one time when Sarah came in and he was here and he was really grumpy and, you know, not really communicating. And Sarah said to me, I'm really sorry, Donna, that he's being so rude to you. And she goes, Jared, don't be so rude to Donna. And it's, it's, uh, he said, I'm not being rude. I feel like shit. And <laughs> I said, that's okay. I don't think you're being rude. But, um, yeah, he did give me a bit of a hard time sometimes. But I think at the end of the day, we had a really honest and trusting relationship. I think I would describe it. I trusted him that he was going to tell me what I needed to know and I think, you know, he trusted me in what my advice was and, and what we needed to do as a result. And so that was pretty key, I think, to us getting through this experience together like we did. And I think with uh, your other role as the co-chair of the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Nurses Organisation, mm. I suppose with that group it's quite important for you to have that sort of trusting and open relationship and ensure that you can provide that support to others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a smallish cohort of melanoma nurse specialists in the country, you know, and we all get together and, and try and put our heads together to work out what's best for our patients and we learn from each other. And I don't think you'd go, you'd find anybody who didn't think that that trusting relationship was um, not, you know, that's really key to any sort of relationship you have with your patients and each other, really, yeah. So at the end of the day, Jared, are you feeling hope about what's ahead, hopeful? Oh, yeah, I've got, yeah, I, I mean, as I said, I, all that was, all I knew was footy. So um, now to experience something like this, and, and you don't wish this upon anyone that you have to go through something, but I've got perspective now. I've got an understanding that what I thought was everything actually means nothing. So... I mentioned before that you're a dad now. I've now moved out of – I'm still involved in footy, but um, I'm not playing anymore. I've got, you know, other things going on in life. And really, if I live to be 100, footy was only going to be 15% of my life. So there's a lot more good days ahead. And, you know, as I said, footy was just a small part of it. And this is something that's opened my eyes to, you know, greater things really because now I've got two small kids that – wake up in the morning and where's dad? Let's go. Mm. It's a bittersweet thing, isn't it? That something that seems on the face of it so terrifying and potentially awful can lead to something that, as you say, can open other doors and open your eyes to new experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that's another episode of the Spot On Podcast. Make sure you share this one with a friend or family member if you think they'd get some value from it. And if you've not done so, make sure you go back and listen to the other episodes in season one about the fundamentals of skin cancer. Or go and check out some of the other episodes in this season where we're focusing more on the human side of a skin cancer diagnosis. 
Remember, all of the content that's discussed in this podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as medical advice. Please make sure you speak with a medical professional for advice relating to your own specific situation. This podcast is brought to you by the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Advocacy Network, MSCAN, who are providing a new, innovative approach to tackle Australia's national cancer. MSCAN engages with Australia's leading clinicians, researchers and advocates with the aim of increasing the knowledge of those affected by a diagnosis. For more information about MSCAN and the advocacy work going on to help Australia get skin serious, visit mscan.org.au.